Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Hello and welcome to today's interview with me, the Victoria Souls. Today, I have Angie Bowman. She is an abuse and trauma survivor who is now an author and a pastor and the host of a podcast called Steady On. She's going to be sharing her healing journey with us today and also something she calls Talk to Your Triggers. So I'm so excited to share her story with you today. We'll bring her in here to meet you. And for those of you who don't know me, I am Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. And so welcome today, Angie. Thank you for being with me on my Victoria Souls podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. It's very exciting to share this story. You, you've been through so much, and I know people are going to be able to relate to you and I told them about you have that talk to your triggers. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. But so I wanted to start with what was your life like before your the trauma and the abuse that you've been through? Like, what was it like growing up being Angie? Well, I was born to teenage parents, actually. Oh, wow. And my dad, my dad is a pastor, a local church pastor who started serving when he was 17. I was born when he was 18. And wow. uh, I, yeah, I was, I was uh, born on a Monday and I went to church the following Sunday. And wow. that's how I grew up. Uh, he was an itinerant pastor appointed for one year at a time. And so in the early years, I moved often. We didn't move every year, but we moved every two to three years. I went to a lot of different schools and um, we went, I traveled with them. We, he went to seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm from Southern Illinois. So most of my time was in Southern Illinois, but I went to seminary with him when he was old enough to, when he finished college and went to seminary. So I grew up in the church and I grew up yes, a, pra- literally. a pastor's kid. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I have, I have wonderful memories of uh, the, one of his first appointments was in a little town, Belknap, Illinois, that in 1970, the census was 193 people. And I was a tiny two and three year old. And we lived in this tiny little parsonage next to door to a tiny little rural church. But even as a little kid, Danielle, I would walk next door. I would leave our little parsonage and walk on the sidewalk and climb up into those cold wooden pews and sit in that sanctuary by myself because somehow all my life I've known that's where I belonged. I have been, uh, just comfortable and confident of in almost nowhere in the world. <laughs> I am not a comfortable, confident person for the most part, but in a church sanctuary has always been my home. And I'm very, very grateful for that because it's been something that I've needed at certain times in my life, all of my life, really. But with the moves, I will say, um, I continued to get a little bit more just not lost really, but 
the, the instability of it had a pretty deep effect on my heart. I did not have long, uh, I did not have extended family relationships. I did not have community relationships. I didn't have church relationships. And while I was at home in like any church situation, if you will, cause I kind of automatically had an in, I also wasn't at home as in I had roots there. And so the, oh, the, wow. the constant moves of community and schools and friendships and the lack of sort of extended family connections, it, it created in me what I see now as a vulnerability for what would happen to me then in my teenage years and kind of that first initial serious trauma in my life. Yeah, I can see that. It's so much, maybe superficial isn't the right word, but something like that, because you didn't have the roots that yeah. it makes, there's just lack of the stability. There's not the safety there. There's like safety in numbers. When you have a family where there's a lot of roots in the family or roots in the church or roots in the community, it gives you that feeling of safety. Yes. Yes. And like my family was very small and then the rest, most of them died and there was only three of us left. So I, I can, I feel for you with that of the lack of the extended stuff. It really does make you quite vulnerable. So yes. what is it that happened to you when you were 16? You, you've been through two very different kinds of traumas and two different times of your life. So we'll just start with that first yeah. one. You were 16. What happened? Uh, you know, as we continued to move and I got older, what, what sort of deepened and did take root was this disbelief in my belonging. Like I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. I didn't know that I was special to anyone. I didn't really feel seen or known. And at 16 years old, I was groomed and seduced into a romantic relationship with one of my high school teachers. He was 39. He was this charismatic band director that everyone loved. He was a beloved teacher in the community. And the community was about 1400 people, very small, about 400, not quite 400 kids in the high school, but the band, the music program was like the thing. It was, you know, uh, <laughs> there was a large percentage of the student population that was in the band and uh, he was married. He had a son just a couple of years younger than me. And I would learn later that, uh, you know, he had a long history of doing this, uh, having sort of like favorite students, if you will, that actually was a lot more than a favorite student. Um, but one thing that I have learned, Danielle, is uh, that a predator doesn't only groom his victims, a predator grooms the community or whatever that looks like, you know, yeah. in which he resides. And I'm going to say he this time, because that's the, that's the way it was in my situation. I recognize that they're not all men, but, um, right. but he also <laughs> groomed that community. And so really the trauma was the abuse. It was a relationship that lasted about nine months and ended after the summer, after I graduated from high school. So all of these like big life changes were happening sort of at the same time, while this yeah. relationship was coming becoming public. And, um, and it became very public. There was a an anonymous report to the De De uh, Department of Children and Family Services, the state police were involved, there were interviews and, you know, lawyers and all kinds of things. And it was oh, wow. for a small town like that, as you can imagine, it was, it was the buzz, except for, I was this like, this little person in the center of this buzz that I'll, I, you know, I just was like, I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I didn't know what to do. It was very confusing. My parents were very quiet about the whole thing. They didn't want to talk about it. They, 
I don't know that they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't talk about it. I'll say it that way. And um, I think it was very embarrassing for them, for my father to be a pastor, a respected pastor in that small community. But his daughter was now in the local paper and on the news, you know, for this having happened to her. And so, and it was a little bit of a different time. It was 1992 when this was unfolding. And so people didn't view this kind of thing the same with the same, maybe respect for the story as they do now. I'm grateful that a lot has changed, but at the time it was okay to brand me a liar uh, the kids in the classroom called me, a, in the, you know, in the hallways called me a whore. They left me n- nasty notes in my lockers and, um, and a group of parents rallied around him and believed his explanation. And it was very, very painful. And it was quite honestly, a social death from which I nearly did not recover in the months. And even the next couple of years, I, I had a lot of destructive behavior choices. I gave serious thought to harming myself and it was really the darkest part of my life thus far. Yes. Um, Yeah. That's, that's the reason why many people who have been through sexual offenses of various kinds, they won't speak up because of fear of not being believed. And then you didn't even come forward. You were exposed. And then completely maligned your character. It was awful. And I don't, you know, I say that hopefully because I, because I, I, so many of us have a similar story. And so I so don't say that it was awful. Like poor me, it was so awful, but it it is awful for those of us who have gone through that kind of thing, the, the social, being a social outcast and not being believed when you've been brave to tell your story, it will. And I know we'll talk about this in a minute. It took me a very, very, very long time to begin to try to tell my story again and to believe in it because what it did to me was it, it was, it created such confusion because I had a really hard time even believing myself. And so I think the fear, I think you said the fear is one reason that we don't speak out, but also I think um, the comparison, well, what happened to me isn't as bad as what happened to her or it wasn't, you know, and I think that's another thing that sometimes keeps us from, because I've had people say, well, at least do this, or at least do that. And yes, at least, and there are people with definitely with harder, worse, more traumatic stories or whatever. But so many of us are carrying around this like unhealed trauma or this, uh, this, um, fear. Maybe you have better words for that. Cause I know you talk about this so much too. We carry it around because we think we're not worthy of releasing it or something, mm-hmm. if I'm saying that right. And yeah. that, that was a huge struggle for me for years, decades, even I'll have to say. Yeah, we dismiss it and we make it less than it is. We measure it by mm-hmm. something else. And yeah. it's, it's, it keeps us in the pain. And, and when and someone as has, it keeps us in the pain, the pain gets worse. It's yes, like it's, it grows, it's like it infects. Yes. And it, it permeates into so many other things in our life. And if someone has taken away your no, or if someone has dismissed your story, it, it, it's painful. It is. And it's really hard to believe in yourself again, when that's happened. So for anyone listening, that that's your experience. um, I just, I see you and it's hard. I'm going to pause here now and address you who are listening. I want you to feel heard and feel seen. So we're pausing for you who are listening that relate to Angie here. If you have been dismissed, you've been disbelieved, maybe listen to the rest of this and then reach out to Angie and you can get the validation that you need because she understands she's been there. But we are going to pause to say, we see you and we hear you emotionally, 
not with our eyeballs, <laughs> because right. we can't do that. But with our hearts, we see you and we hear you. Yeah. And we believe you. Yes. Yes. So I just, I want to pause to do that when people are listening that, you know, this isn't just a recording. I record everything live for reasons like this. I want the spirit of grace to just speak to people and them to feel seen and heard and known and loved and get tools to help them in their journey. Because we share all these stories to help people. It's why we do this is to help other people. And if I can, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but Daniel, just while you're saying that, what comes to mind is, you know, years, years later, when I began to share my story, I remember the very first time that I began, that I was invited to, and I knew that I was going to share my story. And I got up that morning and I was praying about it because I really had hesitation about it because I was afraid that they wouldn't see me the same as they did before, or they wouldn't believe me, or I'd make people mad or I'd get, or people would be mean about it, you know, and all these things, all this fear that I was carrying with me. And I said to God, I kind of just threw up this prayer, almost kind of like irreverently, quite honestly. And I just said to him, I'm like, they don't need my sad story. Like, I'm not doing this today. They don't need my sad story. And I felt so much power in his response. And I share this to the one listening that may think, you know, they don't need my sad story. He said very clearly to my heart, not in, not to my ears, but in my heart, the way that I understood he was talking to me. And he said, no, they do not need your sad story. They need your redemptive story. That's why we have to share our stories because Mm -hmm. we are an illustration of God's love and redemptive power and grace. And when we share our stories, um, then we are, we help each other be less alone. Amen. And hope. Yeah. Hope that there's hope to come out of that darkness. There's hope to come out of that pain. There's hope. There's hope that someone will listen, that someone will hear that there's hope. Yeah. That's a big thing about hope. Yeah. So how did you deal with all of that? I mean, after that, in the aftermath of that, I mean, I know you got married later and all of that. I did. You, yeah. Yeah. I, so that? the first, like I said, the first couple of years were pretty dark. Um, my first couple of years of college, I went away to college. I did not do very well at first. I was, uh, I was signed up to be a music major. And so all of my classes, my first semester were linked to this pain and this, like this thing that had fallen apart. And I was a young 17. I was a young college student. I turned 17 in April. I graduated from high school in May. I moved out in July. I started college in August and I was alone. Um, just wow. about as alone as you can be, but, um, but I didn't know how to get out of classes and, you know, so, and, but I had a student work job in the financial aid office, Daniel, that really was such a gift from God. And it, it saved my life. The other girls that I worked with, kind of took me in a little bit. The supervisor recognized someone who was really broken and I became really good at that job. And it gave me a reason to get up and keep going and contribute. And I did start to feel like I belonged there, which was just sort of a, it was such a crucial uh, uh, thing for me to have at that time. And so, um, so I plugged away, I went to class and I completed some classes. I made a lot of mistakes. I dated way too many men in those early years, kind of as a response to what I'd been through. I see that now I carried a lot of shame about that for a long time, but I see it now as a response to the brokenness that, that I had been through and trying to find my validation again, in a way that someone was paying attention to me, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's a very that natural, perfect sense. Yeah. You are, yeah, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. Pause here again to just point to this because when we go through that and then we have all these coping mechanisms or trauma yes. responses, and then we can beat ourselves up 
I shouldn't have this and shouldn't have this. And I was doing this because of that. And then we're beating, we're picking up like a hammer and pounding ourselves on the head. No, no, this is how you're dealing with it. And now maybe we can help you to bring about change. I love a, um, a little phrase that I've gotten from my business mentor to help you own the past, but move forward. Yes. Up until now. Yeah. Up until now I did blah, 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 blah. Yes. (laughs) But the up until now it opens the way in front of you to make it different going forward and leave that back there, deal with it, heal it and all that. But you know, don't drag it with you in the front. And it took me a long time because I used to look at that 17 year old girl was sort of like, not really disdain, but just like, why couldn't you have done better? Like um, disapproval or something. Why couldn't you have done better? Why couldn't you have handled yourself better? But I will tell you at this part of my life, and I've gone through a lot to, it's been sort of hard earned the healing that I've gone through, but I look at her now and I'm so proud of her. I'm like, we survived, we survived. And so you did I it, love you, that. Like, you, you know, I'm just so proud of her with so many, so few resources and so little knowledge of life. You kept, you kept going, you got up every day and you kept going. And so if anyone listening is still getting out of bed and you keep going, then you are doing it. And there is a brighter day ahead if you keep doing it. And yes, some adjustments may need to be made. And yes, some of the ways you're handling this probably will need to be let go of and replaced with healthier things, right? But if you're getting up and you're continuing to press forward, you are doing it. Amen. Amen. Yes, I agree. Wholeheartedly agree. So then after all of this and you got married, right? Yes. And then yeah. something happened after you got married. How, how did you end up getting married? And Tell us a little bit about that. And then yeah, how long so, was it till the second thing happened to you? I finished my college degree. And about the time I was finishing up and I was uh, accepted into graduate school, actually, and my husband had come to the campus where I was a student and we were in the same graduate program. And I had been, uh, I had been sort of like behaving better for quite a while, if you will. You know, <laughs> I wasn't, I was very insecure. I was still very broken. But I was very attracted to my husband because he was so comfortable in his skin. He just, he's just a person who, um, he just doesn't, I, I felt like I was this hot mess of insecurity and he just, he was, he was, he would show up and be like, Hey, I'm mad. I assume you like me. And I'm like, it was just the craziest thing because I'm like, I'm Angie. I'm sorry. You're here. I'm here. Like, you know, like I, you know, it was just, and so, um, yeah. he, he was sure enough for himself and he's not arrogant at all, but he, he was no, just sure I'm enough. Yeah. Someone, when you're saying the story that I remember the first time I watched someone, it was some music competition show I don't remember which one it was uh-huh. many years ago and this gentleman was playing it and I saw that same thing yeah and him being and that's when I first heard the term inside myself or found it somewhere I'm not sure comfortable in their own skin yeah. and yeah. I watched him like wow how yeah. do you like do that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I know I just marveled at him and what I what I know now looking back that he was comfortable enough in his own skin that he had room for my mess to be in there, (laughs) you know, like he was comfortable enough for both of us. And, you know, the first, the first years of our marriage, just, they were kind of hard because I just didn't have any confidence. And unfortunately, I don't talk about this a ton, but unfortunately his family rejected me. They were very, um, 
They were very unhappy with his choice. And as you can imagine, that added oh, that piggybacks on what happened yes, when you were 16. It was, oh, really, my it was really painful for me. And I took a long time. And, and, and as newly married, we argued about that because he had a hard time uh, not trying to make us both happy. And like, so there, it was, it was hard at first because I just felt so, I felt like I didn't belong there either, even though mm-hmm. I knew that my husband loved me. It was very hard to trust in his love for me because I, it seemed so foreign compared to the reaction I got everywhere else. I don't, yeah. and that's not like a wow. poor me thing, but it was this, the enemy fought hard for me to believe that I didn't, I wasn't worth belonging somewhere that I wasn't good enough or valuable enough to be accepted. And so that's been a, that's been something that I've had to overcome multiple places in my life. Wow. Yeah. So we, yeah, so we were married about five years and then we had our older son. He's uh, just about to turn 18. And then in 2009, we had a second son. They're about five and a half years apart. And the, the question that you ask about the kind of the next thing that happened in the summer of 2010. So we'd been married about 12 years at that point. We had a six year old and a seven month old, both boys. And then in the summer of 2010, it was Father's Day. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. We were out driving and a man fell asleep at the wheel. He was hung over and fell asleep at the wheel and crossed the center line and hit us head on. And so we were, the all four of us were in um, our minivan and um, yes. And so we were in a very traumatic uh, car crash. Wow. Wow. And then you had told me you know, it didn't affect all of you the same. All four of you emerged from that accident in different shape. Yes, my I was driving. And so I had very serious injuries and our six-year-old had very serious injuries. He was airlifted from the scene and taken to a children's hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. And I was taken to a different hospital. And over the next little bit, we would have eight surgeries between us. And I had nine months of rehab and we had concussions and multiple broken bones and internal injuries. So we were a hot mess physically for sure. (laughs) In two different hospitals. In two different hospitals. Yes. Yes. And um, so that was just, and you know, they had to take us where we could, they could get the fastest, best care. So, and yeah. And so, but uh, our little guy, the baby, seven months old, he was in a rear facing car seat and he only had the only injuries on him. They, you know, they took him of course and did a thorough exam where he had some abrasions on his neck from where those straps were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cause the impact was so much, but other than that, he was good. And my husband had, um, some internal injuries and he had, he had, had to have had to have some staples in his head, but he was, um, he was very mildly injured, uh, comparatively. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's so the, such the fragments, the family like that. When, that was you know, the hardest two different part. Hospitals and one is your husband. He's doing like, okay, he needed medical attention. Yeah. And then the baby is, you know, pretty good. And yeah. so are, were you like in four different places? I mean, what? It was very, you know, what happened to me internally was as significant or more so because partly what happened after the abuse and I went to college and I got married and I became a mom and I learned how to overcome that pain and and have a place of belonging in my production. 
I will organize and I will be perfect. And I will, you know, this is kind of the, I will be driven and I will get everything's done and I will have lists and I will check things off and I will take care of my children perfectly. And I will take care of my husband perfectly. I served a local church. I'm a pastor. Also, I will take care of my church congregation perfectly. And I will go, go, go. And I will do that because I'm not good enough on my own. And I, of course this isn't true, but it's, I didn't know I believed this, but this is kind of how I was living. I'm not good enough on my own, but I can do I can do things and that will help close the gap between who I am and where I can belong. But what happened with the accident is that all of that, all of those balls I kept in the air and all those plates that I kept spinning came crashing down because I didn't do anything. I didn't take care of my church. I didn't go to work. I didn't take care of my kids. My, my older son who had been, both of his arms were broken and he needed a foot. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't roll over. He couldn't wash himself. I mean, he couldn't do anything for himself. The baby was seven months old the baby didn't do anything for himself so he actually had to go live with my mother for a while because no one could uh, we couldn't handle all of the the needs um my husband was he was doing fairly well physically but let's just say he was reeling from what had happened and so he was giving 110 percent, and it was about six thousand percent too little you know with all the needs of the i didn't even move from my bed to the wheelchair by myself. I could, you know, my injuries were such that I didn't go to the bathroom myself. I didn't take a shower. I didn't, I mean, I didn't do anything on my own. And, um, they came into the house to do like doctor's appointments and pull blood and do physical therapy. So it was awful. It was really awful in that place though. I had to, I had a choice. I didn't have to, I had a choice. I felt the choice of God inviting me to reconsider from where my worth came. And in that place of brokenness, when I had nothing to offer him to receive his love fully in a way that I hadn't experienced since I was probably that two-year-old climbing up on those church pews with nothing to offer him, but feeling loved, but Mm -hmm. it had been a really long time since I'd felt that. And, and it was an invitation to, to re accept his love for me, which came and was extended with no asterisk with no conditions attached. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. He, he doesn't waste anything. That's one thing I no. love. He does not waste anything. Mm-mm. We will give it to him. He will take something and just turn it into something so beautiful that we look back and we marvel. And sometimes we even are like, really glad that happened. And then we go, how can I be glad that happened when it was I so wouldn't awful, trade it for anything. God I wouldn't trade it thing. for anything. Yeah. It, it, it was the catalyst through which I healed. It was the catalyst through which I healed and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And at the same time, I hope everybody gets to do it. Like, you know, because I just, uh, the thing that you think will kill you is the thing that will invite you to freedom. If you, if you listen, he, he's calling you in it. I just believe that with all my heart. Yeah, I love how you're using that word invite. It's reminding me of a gentleman that I have on my podcast. I was on his podcast. He uses that word all the time. His podcast is Where Did You See God? Yeah. It's uh, Paul Granger. But he uses that word inviting all the time. God invites us. God invites us. And I love that because it's so grace-filled. The world and myself included before I had a revelation sees God as overbearing and commanding and pressurizing and coercion, coercion and things like that. But that word inviting invitation. I just, I love that because it's more 
true to his character. Yes. Yes. That the Holy Spirit is called the comforter and the helper. Yes. For the longest time, it never clicked inside my head that those were adjectives. Mm, yeah. Those yeah. were just titles. And it meant absolutely nothing to yeah. me. Those words meant nothing. And what those words by definition meant, they were just a title. He might have been named, you know, Mr. Jones yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Yes, right. That's as much mm -hmm. as it meant to me. Mm -hmm. But they're adjectives. They're describers of, of our God. And I think that just I think there's the a cast. Help. Yes, I think there's a casting crown song that has a lyric that talks about how God is a gentleman. And mm. I and I think about that because um in my own situation with with not with someone taking away my no, if you will, mm -hmm. that but God doesn't ever take away our no. So he he continues to invite us and help mm -hmm. us and call us and show up in those places, but we get to decide. It is an yes. invitation to be with him, yes. but he will not force himself on us. He will relentlessly pursue us and he will not give up, you know, and he, sometimes he'll make it very uncomfortable because he wants to show himself to us. And it's hard for us to deny. I don't mean like, but you know, he'll make it like where it's hard for us to say no, but right. he will let us say no. And right. Well, our power of choice is so important to him. Yeah. Yes. I love a quote from the book, the shack. Mm -hmm. It says love that is forced is not real love. Mm. And that's the truth with yeah. the God who created us Yeah, in the garden. He gave us two trees. He gave us a choice. He put the choice front and center already with a plan for, to rescue us after we made our bad choice, mm -hmm. knowing we would make a bad choice, <laughs> you know, because we make bad choices yeah. in our lives. Mm -hmm. I, I want to touch on something that they shared at my church this past um, Mother's Day. People tend to think of God as just male. Some people don't like the book, The Shack, because mm -hmm. they they had the characters that two of the characters were female of the Trinity. I loved it. <laughs> but they shared a couple of scriptures that were very female of God. As a bar, at, like a bear who is robbed of her cubs. Like a mother bear who is robbed of her cubs, he will protect us. Yeah. And Jesus spoke over Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I, I have wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. Mm -hmm. A hen is female. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those are the two that are coming to me right away. I know mm -hmm. there were more, but there are scriptures. God is male and female. We're created in the image of God, male and female. Mm -hmm. You know, then God hold woman out of man because man was male and female in the beginning. God is, so I just felt the importance to bring that up for whoever is listening here that you need to hear that God is not an overbearing authoritarian man. Yeah. Yeah. God is, is male and female in character and in heart and in his love and his gentleness and his yeah. nurturing. Yeah. He's nurture. He's a nurturer. Yes. Yes. He is. Yes. I just, I felt like that someone needed to hear that. I just had to share that someone listening is needing to hear that. So it's a good word. So then you went from all this surviving so much surviving, a lot of fighting to survive, but now you're thriving. And how did you get from there to where you are today? <laughs> uh, several things. Thank you for asking that. It's, it's been a slow, I'm not a quick learn uh, on things like this, but I also think deep pain 
doesn't heal quickly most of the time. So, um, and I, I'm in a healing process healing still. Time. Yeah. So if, it's, but, if it doesn't um, take time, it's a miracle. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes, it does. And I think, well, I know this to be true. God, uh, healing takes looking at what hurts. We, we have to feel what hurts and God in his grace for us. He is the, he sets the pace for that because he knows we need it. I couldn't look at this all at once and he didn't ask me to, and he's still having me look at pieces of it because I can't look at it all at once. And right. most of us cannot. So, but yeah, to answer your question, some of the things that have helped me thrive a lot of grace for myself. Uh, I I'm bad at that, but I'm getting better all the time, uh, extending grace to myself and also asking for help and often in the form of grace from others, people who are close to me, uh, to be able to say, uh, I need to pause before I answer you right now. Right. Or I need to think about this a little while, or actually this is stirring up something and I'm reacting in a way that's probably inappropriate. So I just need to, I need to, I need, we need to slow this conversation down or things like that to be able to know myself well enough to know when I'm getting sort of like inappropriately anxious. I'm not sure what, you know, like um, there's probably a better, triggered. yes, You're being being, triggered, yeah, which is going to lead us right, right into exactly. I can feel that. Right that. I, I can triggered. feel that in people myself. Get triggered. Yeah. And it needs grace. Often it needs grace. So grace for myself for people, which partly is sharing your story so that mm. people know why people, I have found people to be so much more understanding and uh, to be able to offer grace when they know She's just been through something. She's not, you know, <laughs> she's not nasty, maybe a little snarky sometimes, but she's been through something. And sometimes she just has to say enough. I can't do it. You know, um, also really studying. I've been a student of the word for a long time. I mean, this is like number one, I should have started with this maybe, but, uh, I've been a student of the word for a really long time, but it wasn't until after the crash that I felt the invitation again to notice the difference between knowing God's promises and living by them. Like, do you really believe, like, you know, that I'm the helper, but what does that mean today in your circumstances? Right. Mm -hmm. So what the, I can't remember the other word that you use, but you know, I'm this. And so comforter. do you, yes, you know, I'm the comforter. Where do you need my comfort today in this? And will you believe that I can show up in that comforting, nurturing way in this for you today? So knowing and living by God's promises which also helps me give grace to myself because the more we connect with his grace for us, I believe yeah. this, the more we can offer grace to ourselves and others too, which is a, probably a different show, <laughs> but also, um, getting good therapy, uh, counseling has been an important part of this journey and it's helped me someone who is not close to me, but understands how the brain responds to these things can help me make sense of it and give, help me give grace to myself because I, recognize what's going on in my own brain so that I can, you know, deal yes, with it appropriately definitely. instead of just feeling like everything I feel is accurate because a lot of things that I feel can be talked to. It's not accurate. Well, you're feeling it for a reason and that's why you have to talk to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right. <laughs> so you, you also have, you've written books, you, you have books, you've written Bible studies, and then you have that thing called how to talk to your triggers. Share, share some of that stuff with us. Yeah, so I have two Bible studies. My first one is called A Journey Worth Taking, 
exploring the significance of the gifts the wise men brought to Jesus. It's a four-week Bible study that looks at, these are my copies that are well-loved and they're uh, tabbed and they've got my name on. These are the ones I teach out of. But the this this first one talks, it takes the, the gifts of the wise men, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, and it asks, what were those for then? And why is that important now in our relationship with Jesus? So that's the first one. And then my more recent one is called Strong Hearts, Increasing Our Trust in Jesus Through Examining the Lines of the Lord's Prayer. And it takes the six lines in that well-known, familiar Lord's Prayer, if you will. And each one, it asks a trust question, because sometimes we just rattle things like that off, but maybe we don't really consider what we're saying or declaring by those words. And again, it's that whole like promises of God, like, you know, this, but are you believing it and living by it? And, and understanding then, yeah. it because we, we heard it so much, yeah. especially the Lord's prayer Yeah, using mm -hmm. different Bible translations can be mm -hmm. extremely helpful yes. also. And yeah. you brought the Lord's prayer. I didn't realize that that book you have was using that uh -huh. because the first line in that, in the passion translation is just astounding to me. And I have it written in my Bible because yeah. I love it so much. It's beloved father who dwells in the heavenly realms. Let the glory of your name be the center on which my life turns. I love that. I love That's the passion translation. Like the I know. It's nothing, yeah, I know. Yeah. I love the passion translation. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> So I, I kind of interrupted you there. Keep going. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. And then I have a, I have a step, I have a Bible study method that I teach. It's called step-by-step step. and I have study sheets that go along with that. We do a verse actually on the podcast that I do. I pick a verse every week that connects with the podcast interview. And then we study that verse all week uh, in the study on ministry on the Facebook page and all that. And I have a step-by-step -step Bible study team, a group of ladies. We go live on Tuesday nights. And we unpack that Bible verse and do a half an hour live study. And so I have a master class that goes along with that because I love to study the word and I love to teach the word. And I taught inductively. I don't know if you're familiar, Danielle, with precept ministries, but I taught through precept for a long time. And one of the things that that does, it requires a lot of time and resources. And so I've tried to do an inductive. I have done an inductive Bible study method that uses apps on your phone and just, it takes less time because we focus on one scripture instead of like a whole book or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you also have, um, the other thing was you do something with writing or something. Don't you work with a, a writing Thing. I do. I am. Um, I'm a ministry mentor with Flourish Writers. Actually, they have an academy, and um, and so I'm a mentor in there. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's a that's a it's a wonderful. If anybody's interested in writing, I've been a part of Flourish Writers for I think this is my fourth year, and they are such a gentle place, especially for people who are like I think I might want to write something, but I have no idea what that means. And so yeah, Flourish Writers is a great place to investigate and get connected. So. And awesome. then I well, have you mentioned the, your podcast. What's the name of your podcast? Yes, I don't think podcast you said the name is, of it. is also steady on. Yeah. Steady on and um, new episodes drop every Wednesday. And the tagline for that is where God's hard truth meets your hard story. And we talk a lot about just what it means to not only know, but live out the promises of God in our circumstances. So we talk about a variety of things, but always with the, where is God at work in this focus? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Before we, um, tie up here. Is there something you want to make sure that you share? I just, well, do you want me to talk about the talk to your triggers real quick? Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That. So that's, that's right. yeah, that, no, that's, fine. Over that that's the last thing. Yeah. No, it's all good. I know. We kind of, I know. 
so um so the talk to your triggers is a presentation i do sometimes i do it as a guest like this i do some workshops on it i actually have a workshop uh, tomorrow night on it and i'm excited where we get together and we go through uh, five steps and they all start with r and they are linked to scripture where we recognize reveal remember receive and then repeat that's the grace part right uh as we how do we recognize like you were just saying how do we recognize when our body is being triggered when our mind is being triggered when we're reacting to something because of what happened to us in the past instead of actually reacting or responding to what's going on in front of us right now and so yeah that's called talk to your triggers and if anybody listening or watching is interested in kind of connecting with that i've given a link to danielle that she's going to put uh, in the show notes or in the comments or however you do that. And it'll take you to a download for talk to your triggers. Also, it'll take step you is real important that recognize. recognize step one is recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's important yeah. because yeah. what you... does my body feel like what's going on in me yeah. when I'm about to experience this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you can't do anything about it. If you don't recognize exactly all the rest of them are useless without yeah. the recognize. Yes. You have to start yeah. with the recognize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to be willing to say, uh, talk to yourself, right. And say, this is about something else. And I don't, you know, what really brought to mind was I begin to like study it and really pray about it, Danielle. It's because I would find myself from time to time lashing out at my children uh, mm. for something they had, they had pushed on something. They had stepped on something in my heart unintentionally. And, and it, it, it became this sort of like unloading on them. And I didn't, I didn't want to parent from that place. I didn't, I didn't know how to articulate it, but I'm like, somehow I'm laying my stuff on them and I'm parenting them from fear. I'm parenting them from lies instead of from actually parenting them in the situation that I that's in front of me. Wow. So I'm pause here to you listening. You have kids. Are you unloading on your kids? You need to get Angie's talk to your triggers. <laughs> so how can people connect with you, Angie? Yeah. So I'm going to give you that link. And um, my website is livesteadyon.com. Um, my link, the link with all the, like the website and the Facebook and the talk to your triggers download and the step-by-step -step masterclass download, all those kind of good things. There's a link. It's the easiest way probably is connected to my Instagram and my Instagram is Angie Bauman 421. And I'm sure that you will put that in all the kind of good stuff where they can find it as well. Alrighty. Well, thank you for being with us today. It has been my delight. You're just really, I value the work that you are doing. You're a great interviewer and getting this message out about how we can keep taking step forwards is so great, Danielle. So thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for sharing courageously. That was a lot that you shared and it takes courage to share all that stuff. So thank you. Appreciate that. Okay. Talk to you in a minute. So there you have it. Get your copy of Talk to Your Triggers. I'm going to have to grab that link because I have the link to her website currently. I will make sure to add the others after I get this all processed in all the different places that it will go. Thank you for listening to this. Thank you for hearing the spirit speak to your heart and love you and see you because you matter. And so until next time, I'm Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. Mwah. Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at DanielleBurnock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you 
can change your life. No one can do it for you.